0: You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights? By the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, and I have Jim, the hitman, raftman, on the line with me. Good morning, Jim.
1: Good
0: morning, Woody. Good morning, real life, real crime fans. How are you today? I hope they're all doing well. Y'all, we are doing our first ever, with this new system, remote uh, co-hosting, if you will, in Jimson, Florida. And I'm finally back in Louisiana today. Just got back in the country last night. So we're laying out a track and then this is a very unique story and it's going to be kind of graphic. So if you're going to get offended, turn it off. But, um, but the name of today's episode is lumber slumber. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: Like
0: That's a good one. All right, Jim say, so I'm let you start it off.
1: Okay. So this was in 2006 timeframe. I believe it was, Yeah, Uh, it was in the dead smack in the middle of winter and in Louisiana, it does tend to get cold. So if you fans that live up in the north, I know you have zero sympathy for Woody and I when it (laughs) comes to cold in Louisiana, but for us, it's brutal. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) it it
0: was really cold. Yeah, it was in the middle of hunting season. I think probably like the second week of December and I was praying we wouldn't catch anything. Jim and I. And we were on the night shift uh, during the week. But we were about to get off, I think, um, because I was going to go up to the property and go hunt. But I, I know it was cold because it was ice on the ground, which is kind of rare here. And, um, but I'm just, it, it was like in the mid-20s. Very, very cold that morning. Go ahead, buddy.
1: Very, very cold. And you know we when we had on call we were on call till seven a.m. Right. And that's when the, the day shift would, would be able to take over. And of course, this call comes in a little after six. Yeah. Uh, let's tell them. And
0: about, tell them, Let's tell them about that real quick. The it, when you work all night like that, you're just praying. Even if you're in uniform patrol or whatever, that last hour, you're just praying that you don't catch a call, right? Especially if you, you know if you're getting off duty for the next couple of days and you've been working and, and the night shift, et cetera. And you're like, Oh Lord, please no calls, no calls, you know, nothing major. And sure enough, it's six something. We get the call.
1: <laughs> it, it, you know, for those that have worked in law enforcement or actually it kind of works this way with just about any job, but when you want things to be quiet and smooth, it never is. Exactly. So, uh, you know, and when you, it, it's just the way it works. I don't know why, but it's just how it goes. And in this particular time, we wanted to be quiet. And of course, we get that early morning call at the lumber yard.
0: Well, the, the call comes in. I think I know I had already, I was actually at my residence packing up my hunting gear, getting ready to cut out and go. And then Pager goes off. And it's, 1021, the radio room, and it would have right. gone off to both Jim and I. And so we call in, right. and the dispatcher says, you got a body um, in holding at the lumberyard. And now we out at the lumberyard. It's uh, where the, the forestry is big in this area, right? And so they cut a lot of trees and a lot of times what's for, for what they call poles. So they, they pick out the biggest, longest, straightest pine trees and they haul them in by the truckload and they shave them down in the lumber yard and they stack up these huge piles of trees. I mean, like, I don't know what you say, Jim, 30 to 50 feet high. And, oh, yeah. very and, much and, very they, and they keep, they spray them. With twenty four hours a day, with with water and, and a creosote mixture to keep them from drying out. And so, anyway, so holding Louisiana y'all was on the east side of the parish, and you heard me talk about that in the past. How the law enforcement wise, the parish is divided up geographically, east and west. And so, I know I, it probably took me at least twenty five minutes to get there. And, and Jim, where were, where were you living at the time in Denham?
1: I was. In- I was in the southwest sector, so it was in Denham Springs. Yeah, and so to get to hold them from where I was, about 25, 30 minutes. Yeah, give or take, and, and much like you, you know, typically at that time in the morning, you're not really expecting any more calls to come in. You kind of already got through that time frame where the most things would happen. Um, so much like you, cool. Woody, I was at the house as well when that call came in and. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it was really, really cold, so I had to get completely changed uh, and drive on over to the lumber yard where Woody and I met up there at the lumber yard and took that walk through the lumber yard together. yeah,
0: and it was one they had like um an office type building in in the lumber yard and anyway, so we were alerted that the body. Was there, and one of the workers in the lumberyard got there that morning and saw a body and they called it in. But tell them what happened,
1: Jim. Well, when we got there, we, you know, start looking at it. This lumberyard's pretty, pretty good size. And as we're walking through and they're leading us to where the body is, um, that crime scene's going to be pretty big. And when we first observed the body and he was laying, he was laying down on his back put his pants pulled down to his ankles and it was, and
0: it was a black
1: male. Um, it was a black male, maybe about six foot six one by about 160, 170 pounds, give or take
0: maybe, um, maybe late twenties. I would say not, not that old,
1: not, not that old. It's either late twenties, early thirties, somewhere into there. Um, You know, one of the things we observed when we looked at his body was not only were the pants around his ankle, but he had a bottle shoved in his ass. (laughs) I
0: don't mean (laughs) to laugh, but it's just one of those you you don't
1: forget. It's it's just one of those, you you, you know, you can't lose the visual, and it's strange and it's odd.
0: And we're not talking about a small bottle, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about a 40-ounce bottle, if y'all know a you know, what a 40 is. That's like a bigger than a quart of beer, like one of the big malt liquor bottles. So it was a, an impressive feat, uh, to say the least. And when you're looking down at him, he's, uh, first of all, he's obviously deceased. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he had ice on him. Um, and the, his pants are down. And he has this huge bottle shoved up his ass. And it it also had um, cream all over it. Cream, if you will. There was like a a suave, S-U-A-V-E, hand cream, one of those big pump bottles uh, beside it. So so I guess he, he or someone lubricated that bottle up well, and he had that thing shoved up as far as he can go.
1: And w- one of the other things that was there too, was there was a crack pipe off to the side um, that had, I mean, it had a little bit of crack in it. It had a little bit of, of crack uh, cocaine rock in it. Um, obviously it was, was doing some sort of thing. So at this particular point, we're starting to think that maybe this is some foul play or something was going, something went wrong while you know they were either doing drugs or doing some strange things
0: yeah the it definitely i mean it had to be investigated i mean it's a younger guy um and just with your pants down on on the ground and he still had his, his jacket on it was like a one of those fluffy gray i mean Jackson, we knew he'd been out there for a while and it didn't appear to be natural causes. We didn't know what it was at this time, but we had it as always treated as a homicide until Absolutely. we, until we know otherwise.
1: So once we try to, you know, look around and fan out for to find some more evidence or to see what could put together the, the, the story for us, there was no video camera. But what we did know was that on the opposite side of this lumberyard was actually a church. And, Woody, why don't you go ahead and explain the church, because I know you've had some run-ins with them previously.
0: Yeah. Okay, let me tell you, the the lumberyard is right off of Highway 190, which runs right through the heart of Livingston Parish, all the way from East Baton Rouge Parish to... Tangipahoa Parish and some people call it Florida Boulevard but this is a really really rural area there's no houses it's the only thing out there in that section is this church per se if you will and the lumber yard now the church is a non-denominational if you will and, but it was actually uh, being used as a rehab center. They were saying that they were uh, an official rehab center and through God or or whatever, and, and but they housed a large amount of people that were addicted to drugs. And we'd had some complaints on it, some street talk, if you will, and that... You're only as good as your, your CIs, your confidential informants and people will call in and they want a little money and say, Hey, you know, this church thing, it's not really a church that they're, they're running dope out of there and the, the, the rehab is not, it's bullshit. You know, they're, they're taking insurance money. They check these people in. They get the only if they have insurance and they're taking their insurance money and they're keeping them there. On dope, uh providing dope for them, because the longer they stay there, the more money they get from the insurance company. And we're talking like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a month from insurance companies. And the word we had were was that most of the people that were, that were there weren't even from Louisiana. They would bust them in from all over the country and stick them in this church if you will in the middle of nowhere Louisiana and do the rehab go ahead Joe I mean
1: it's just a big it's a big scam is really what it comes down to it's something that's more prevalent the last few years uh, I know Florida has quite a bit of them uh, you know there's just a lot of states that have these types of facilities and not all of them are bad so we kind of start to realize which ones are bad um, to our contact with the public and people coming in and out of there and eventually we'll, we'll learn about it which is what happened in this particular case
0: yeah and you know even though we've been getting bits and pieces of information about the place it uh, it only been over for like less than a year but they didn't have any neighbors so it's not like it's a nice neighborhood where people are pulling in and buying drugs all the time and and neighbors are complaining and shit, right? It's just, it was out there. They kind of kept quiet and we didn't have them walking down the highway and stuff like that. Uh, we, We didn't really have any contact or complaints on them other than we were getting bits and pieces of information that it was a potential fraud and that they were supplying drugs to keep their, their patients in the facility to make money off of them. But at, at, you know, Ship, we had a ton of other cases to work, and it's kind of like the squeak wheel gets the grease. And even though they were on the radar, they weren't number one target, if you will. So yeah. the the there's nothing there, right? Jim said there's no cameras. The he, we know from talking to the lumber yard manager that he wasn't dead there when they left it the, the, the afternoon before. So, you know, we tape it off, we look the, through for any evidence, et cetera, more signs of foul play. The coroner is called. Um, you know, we work the scene and process it up, and then coroner comes out. And I can say, honestly, that's the only time in my career that we've ever uh, bagged a body once we got done working the scene that uh, the, we, <laughs> it, it sounds fucked up, but it's the truth. I mean, you put this body in the body bag and he was stiff, like frozen stiff. And so we put him in there and the bottle was so far up his ass, it didn't come out. Uh, I mean, it tagged him and bagged him with the bottle on his ass
1: have to, because that that very well could be some evidence from fingerprints. So, you know, we're treating it just like the homicide, and, you know, one of the questions I remember asking the owners of the lumberyard was, what time did they leave, and what is their process when they check out at at the end of the night, and the owners actually said they left at close to 8 o'clock p.m. They had some paperwork to do in the office. And whenever they leave the lumberyard, you know, they, they do a whole canvas of the entire lumberyard to make sure uh, no workers are, are left on the premises and whatnot before they drive out of the gate and lock it up.
0: That's right. That's the other so thing. They, they had went. they had the gate. Y'all, it's locked. It's not like uh, somebody pulled in there. And, I mean, it's it's little ways off the road.
1: So they went ahead and you know did their whole checks like they normally do. And they said there was no way at all that this body would have been here, would have walked past it. So we know for a fact that that body was not there when they left. So obviously somewhere in the night that body came on to their uh, lumber yard and what took place ended up happening. One of the theories that we had was potentially uh, what this person was going to that church that Woody was speaking of. Maybe they were out walking around, jumped the fence, and it was easier to cut through the lumber yard than it was to go all the way around. That was one theory. Uh, Another one could be that Maybe there was some sort of gay lover type of situation or maybe even be a gay lover situation, just some sort of crazy sexual play, if you will. And they wanted to get away from everybody else at the church to, to find a spot that they could be alone and do some drugs and get weird, I guess.
0: Yeah, it was definitely weird. And the other thing we noticed as we're processing it and, the coroner came and working the scene and remember it's butt cold now for, especially for South Louisiana in the upper twenties. And we could see from the back of that building that that church was like maybe three, 400 yards um, to our left and, but, and but a little bit forward. but the back door of the church, we we could see it. And guess what? It's, 25, 26 degrees outside. And as we're out there working the scene and we're working, it takes a couple hours, y'all. We're, we're looking for evidence and then coroner comes and we have to you know, bag the body and get statements Tons from the lumber. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Tons of photos and get the statement from the lumberyard guy, et cetera. Well, then that back door, of that church has been open the whole time. There's people are, like piled out there smoking and watching what we're doing from a distance well that kind of was a clue too right i mean it's too cold to be standing around um just because you're curious
1: right it's way too cold so if we started thinking that somebody over there may have may have known something um perhaps they know who this person is and may have some information we weren't completely sure so we didn't go over there to uh to talk to them and to see if you know what kind of information they could provide us right i know woody initiated that conversation
0: yeah but the funny thing yeah the funny thing was but as soon as they're out there watching us the whole time and as soon as we turn to walk over in that direction they all scurry inside like cockroaches when the when the lights come on right they all haul ass inside and shut the door on us you know, right, right when we're walking up to him, I'm like, okay, Jim, Jim, this, is a, this ought to be interesting, right? So oh, we, yeah. we, we knock on the door and they didn't even want to answer. I'm like, uh, hello, assholes. We saw y'all just go in. You've been out here all morning. And uh, finally, some lady opened the door and we introduced herself, Detective Overton, Detective Raffman. And, you know, uh, who's the manager here? And, and the, preacher came out he was like oh, i'm the manager and we told him say hey look you know we have a, a deceased guy over here or are you missing anybody and because i knew I and mean, we knew it was a rehab right and oh yeah and and so he was like oh i don't know i don't know if we're missing anybody or not and i'm like okay well you we've been out here for like four hours now and i mean how many people do you have here I think it, it, they had like 30 or 35 people living in we, this place. Go ahead.
1: They did, and we asked them, too, like, do you have a list, like a roster That's list right. or a manifest of who's staying here, whether they're assigned a specific bed or whatever the case is. Uh, and his response was real interesting. Woody, I'll just let you run on with this one. Yeah. I know it gave you a case of read.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he was. First of all, he didn't want to say anything. He was like, "Well, that's you know, um, I don't have to tell you anything that we have." Um, it wasn't h- called HIPAA back then, I don't think, but he's, he, we have confidentiality things. And I said, uh, "You know, I'm gonna tell you some jackass. The you're gonna tell us, and you know, or we'll just bring we'll call a bus out here and, and bring every a bitch in this place in for questioning. You, you, you can either talk to us here." or we're going to drop the hammer on you and that's it i mean he didn't he didn't want to let us into the place
1: and and one of the one of the issues is too is you know granted i know you had mentioned the hipaa thing but we were actually initially asking him if they could just do a list do like a name go inside do a name call out and see who's present and who isn't present right right And if somebody's missing we just we needed to know who the missing people were if there were any Right. Because typically the the deceased very well could be from there. And if there was somebody else involved and they took off and they're also missing, well that gives us a name and somebody to start tracking down. Right. Um so that's how we initially started as as a friendly thing, but if he really wants to take the gloves off and get into it, I mean we absolutely can.
0: Yeah, and I think um, what really pissed me off was I mean, we're standing out there and, and he's he's standing in the doorway, he's not letting us in. I'm like, Can we come in and talk? And he's like, No. I'm like, okay, why not? And he was like, because we don't want you in here. We want to uh, protect the confidentiality of our clients. I'm like, dude, it's cold out here. And I mean, you know, can we come in? And so it, eventually he led us into this, the – um, Like, like a the corridor? Yeah, yeah. it's like a corridor on there. The little kitchen thing was to the left. And let me tell you something. These people were getting fucked because the from what we could see – they didn't have even bunk beds. It was like air mattresses and shit on, and, and a room, the only, only the part that we could see. I mean, so it's, it's like a flop house almost, but he led us into the, the four year thing and he was still being an ass. And I said, listen, dude, I'm, so I'm not fucking around with you. The, we are, I'm dead serious that we're going to, you know, pull every son of a bitch out of here and find out what's been going on, everything. I said, I have information that you may not be on the up and up. I said, I'm not trying to h- here to try to sweat you about that. I said, Detective Raffman is not here. We're not here about uh, if, if there's drugs going on in- inside of your establishment or if you're a real rehab or not. We're here about the dead body over there. And if you don't give us some information, it, it's going to be hard times for you. And you know, so you don't want to see us not be nice.
1: You know, he, he very easily could have said from the very beginning, if he didn't want any issues with us to say, listen, I've accounted for all my people. Everybody's present. So if you guys have something over there, it wouldn't belong to the, to the church. But that absolutely isn't the direction that it went. It was right from the very first second of contact. It was, we don't want to talk to you and I'm not willing to help you in any way, shape or form. Right. Just, you know, being rude and which is, which is very unusual. For a rehab facility, very unusual. For a preacher, that's typically not the behavior. They usually accept everybody. And, you know, at times what I've experienced and what Woody's experienced when you deal with other rehab centers, sometimes they actually need your help because they have somebody that could be losing control, and they, huh. you know, it's just well, when you have to come in and help. So for them to be this standoffish and to be uh, this resistant towards our presence, definitely put up some red flags he he
0: didn't even want to give us his full name now i'm thinking about when i asked it. he's preacher mark or whatever and i'm like last name it was like i don't want to give him the name that's i think that's what really got you pissed off um and then we were like okay so i basically threatened him like either you're gonna help us jack or you know it's just not gonna go well for you so he ends up um, acting like he went to make a count and he comes back and he says, oh, I have one person missing. And I said, Can you describe him to us? And, and that, and he gave the description that fit the guy. And, and so the, and again, we don't know if it's a homicide or what the deal is, but the potential killer could be inside this building. And so we asked for a list of everybody in the building and he told us no. And I said, Okay, well, you know what? We are going to go do what we have to do, and we'll be seeing you real soon.
1: Yep, we are going to get what we need.
0: Yeah, and so we went out, scheduled the uh, autopsy, which we'll get into that in a second. But we run this guy, the, the, the preacher, and it turns out he has a criminal history for numerous drug offenses in the past so that goes into the um the fake rehab deal right and but the one thing you really don't want to do is what we call pop and that's abbreviated for piss off the police and he had pissed us off so jimmy once you tell him, i them
1: mean it, it, it's ahead. not like we're not going to find out who he is i mean we have an address one we can put in any call that's ever been to that location and we can you know, search property record or whatever the case might be to figure out who owns that property and, you know, give us the right first name, don't we'll give us the last name, that's fine, we're going to find out. But now we're investigating something that's potentially be homicide, the so therefore, you know, our scope of our investigation goes as far as it needs to go in order to solve the crime. Right. So, um, you know, it wasn't like we weren't going to find out who he was or, you know, he was going to have some magical trick on us and we're not going to know. Uh, Not to mention, Uniform Patrol in that area knows just about everybody. If you're doing good community-orientated policing, then you're going to know who all the people are in your sector um, and get some information. So we were obviously going to speak with some Uniform Patrol members and gather whatever information we could.
0: um, Right. So So what we did before we left was... We called Stan um, Carpenter, the chief of detectives, told him what was going on, and we came up with a, a plan—phase one, if you will—of pissing off the police. We parked a a uniform patrol unit at the gate to the church, and with the instruction that anybody walks out of here, anybody drives out of here, pull them over, ID them. Right? We don't want anybody fleeing the scene. Um, et cetera. If it, well, hell it could have been the preacher, that was a murderer. We didn't know. But there weren't a lot of vehicles at this rehab center. Is these people didn't drive in, evidently they flew into Baton Rouge and New Orleans and the Preacher or whomever went and picked them up. So there's almost no I think there were like two cars. But the first stage of pissing off the police is now you have a unit parked here until uh, actually our intention that we were gonna uh try to get a search warrant. The, the based off of the fact that that the preacher said the guy was housed there, and we didn't, we didn't have a shit else to go on, right? So, um, right. so nobody was leaving that son of a bitch without being identified, and I'm sure half of them in there probably had warrants. So, but we scheduled the an autopsy, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. And Jim, you you can tell him about it.
1: Yes, yeah, so actually, the autopsy was the same day. It was just later on. That day, so.
0: And, and, uh, and that was, there. that, that was rare for us, y'all. Normally the autopsies had, um, they, it was at least one day out, uh, but.
1: At least one day. It, but in this particular time, given that it was cold out too, and I don't think the coroner had anybody else to do what he does on. So, um, yeah, we had an autopsy same day. So, Woody and I went over there, uh, to the, to the autopsy. Um, so, you know, just like we've done in previous cases, you know, we take pictures of the, the sealed, the serial numbered, um, you know, band that's on the, the body bag and take everything out and, um, you know, lay the body out and the corner does what the corner does from there, which is to go from head to toe and not missing an it. And
0: one um, of the, and that includes y'all when they cut the clothing off. You have to go through the clothing, and one of the things they found in the clothing inside, that fluffy jacket, which I'll never forget, the um, it's like the, the Michelin Man thing with the rolls on the jacket, if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, inside is the uh, jacket pocket. He had a bag of crack cocaine for like four or five rocks in it.
1: Yep. So that, we, they found the crack cocaine. we will take all the clothes. we will individually bag all of that and send that off for analysis because you don't know what you're going to find DNA fibers on there or, or whatever the case could be. So, you know, the meticulous process all the way through uh, the autopsy. Um, but when we got to the bottle itself, the coroner actually pulled the bottle out. And what we found on there was interesting because it was a glass bottle there was actually a condom put over that glass <laughs> bottle, Saw and it, it was luke. So clearly it was intended for that kind of play. Now, um, maybe the, the condom was on there. If the glass broke, I don't know. Maybe they thought it wasn't going wasn't gonna to rip the condom, or maybe that was just what was supposed to keep it um, in the one place. I, I don't really know, but there was a condom on that. Um, and there was a ton of the lotion or the swab bottle of hand cream or whatever that was, all put all over that bottle. So the coroner actually pulled that out, and 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 right away it was kind of a shock factor because I wasn't expecting to see that. What I was actually thinking, um, if it was some sort of humiliation after you were already deceased for whatever the cause was, if someone shove the bottle up 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 this person's ass. But to find a condom on it, it kind of changes your mindset a little bit. Like that was, like what, what the yeah, hell is going was, on here? It was There's crazy. Legitimately, a condom on a glass forty bottle. Like, I that. Yeah, blew my mind.
0: That that's right. And you know what? Going back to the scene, and I when you said it, the um, we did find a condom wrapper, an open condom wrapper, and that's what it originally made us thought it may have been some type of sex play, but then. And I'm like, okay, we didn't
1: find a condom. No, I mean, we I literally know. looked through everything, every trash bin. We wanted, on top the, of roof, everywhere.
0: We wanted the DNA from that condom. Uh, um, Absolutely. And obviously there was a reason we weren't getting it. It's because it was up his ass. But it, the, it was
1: it was up his ass and it wasn't visible from where we were. You couldn't see. They had it shoved up so far that the condom didn't even come down all the way on that bottle.
0: Yeah, I, I so just,
1: we had no clue.
0: I, I, to this day, I can't imagine. I mean, I know when, when, when a woman gives birth, they, you know, God has allowed for things to stretch and, and, you know, do what it has to do. But the rectum, I just don't think it's supposed to be stretched out that big. I mean, it was bad. And I know this is graphic y'all, but it's just, you have to imagine that I don't know the base of one of those bottles. It's gotta be, should it's, much bigger around than, than a baseball bat, the top of a baseball bat, maybe two baseball bats.
1: I mean, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. It, it, it's it. it. So my mind, my mind was blown at that point. I was like, Holy smoke.
0: Yeah. But, and, and again, back to the, we've had deaths, a lot of deaths where, um, people degraded the person they killed afterwards. Like, you know, Shoving stuff up in them, uh, and stuff like that. So that was a real thought of ours, especially, you know, when we couldn't find the condom and stuff like that. The, that maybe yeah, that, I mean, they, they killed him and then, and, and, and the ultimate act of degradation, of humiliation is shoving a bottle up someone. Oh, not just a bottle. We're not talking about a Coke bottle. We're talking about a big-ass model shoving it up his ass.
1: And and it wasn't far-fetched to think that somebody could have humiliated him because it was a short time before then we had worked one where there was a, a death that we can cover on another episode that had to do with um, humiliating that person after the fact. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't a, a far-fetched theory to think that somebody would could have done that whether it was to embarrass that person, to embarrass that person, their family, or even somebody else that we don't know about. it, it, um, so it wasn't a
0: It was almost, I mean, it it was more reasonable to think that somebody had humiliated him after death than it was to think that he voluntarily shoved that huge thing that far up his ass.
1: So So as the coroner continues to go through with the the autopsy, well, you know, they'll do a, a talk screen, so they'll draw any urine out of the bladder, um, you know, try to do whatever kind of screen they can do. Uh, so obviously it was, you know, I, I believe on that test it came back positive for crack cocaine in the system. I, I do believe that was one of the, uh, along with maybe I think with some, some, uh, some pills as well. Yeah,
0: some benzos, I think. Yeah. Some benzos. Crack, and so
1: it, it, it kind of lit up a little bit like a Christmas tree and all the different lines. and. Um So, obviously, the person had been doing some drugs before this took place um and as the coroner continued to go through the autopsy and uh ended up finding a blood clot and this big blood clot known as a pulmonary embolism um found there in the lungs, which was what the cause of death was and and so yeah it
0: was <laughs> first of all that is, you know, a sign of relief for us almost, right? And but the when they say it's a, an embolism and that's the cause of death. So we we're ruling out homicide at that point. Um but when they when they do that, y'all know work the body and we've talked about it in past episodes and they take out all your organs and weigh them and everything else. But when they get to that and the lungs and they actually, he actually, the pathologist actually cuts open the lungs and the, the embolisms are dark, almost like it's black. Dark
1: coagulated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is big honks. It's it, he actually pours them out in his hand and he says, this is your cause of death boys. This is your cause of death right here.
1: And it, and it wasn't a small embolism. It no. was very, very large. Right. So, um, you know, according to the corner with somebody having that large of a pulmonary embolism um, and you don't get medical attention right away, uh, you're, you're toast. And, and unfortunate uh, because, you know, pulmonary embolism is, is very deadly. And in this particular case, that's exactly what it was. So you have a very large pulmonary embolism that they that he was able to discover. So he continues to go through the rest of his autopsy. So at this point, I'm thinking, okay, condom on a bottle, pulmonary embolism caused a death, high on drugs, and then the coroner says, ah, I can pretty much tell you exactly what happened here. And so we're like, okay, well, what you got? And essentially, what was determined was that this person smoked a whole bunch of crack. And when you smoke crack or you do something like that, it actually sends your blood out, right? So you're talking about thinning the blood out a little bit, went ahead, put a condom on this bottle, lubed the bottle up completely, pulled down his pants and squatted over the bottle. And as the bottle, as he got down further on it, being so large as it was, made his blood pressure drop. And when his blood pressure dropped and it being so cold out, would have caused him to pass out, but it triggered the pulmonary embolism. He fell back and died in that position. Yeah. So, as it turns out, you know, there was no homicide. You know, there was no strangulation, stab marks, fight wounds, anything like that at all. This guy literally sat on a bottle, triggered a pulmonary embolism when his blood pressure got too low, and died as a result.
0: Right. And then, hey, that's
1: a terrible
0: way to go. Yeah, well, it's suspected too that he was masturbating when, as he was sitting on the bottle. And I mean, I don't know uh, what the last thought that went through his mind was, but I know what the last thing that went through his lungs were, and that was the big blood clot, right? That killed him. So, big
1: blood
0: clot. So I guess well, you know, mor- we
1: know at this point. No, I'm sorry. That's what I was
0: going to say the moral of that story is: um, if you're going to smoke a bunch of crack and shove a bottle up your ass and masturbate make sure it's not like in in the 20s outside right
1: oh well, i think everything was a factor in that that caused of death for sure um well we knew at that point that we didn't have a homicide you know so it was just an unfortunate death but um, it, was, it wasn't it wasn't a suicide because he um, clearly wasn't right. intending on dying that way is had right. that pulmonary embolism and right uh and, but, and at fast, so.
0: but the one thing we did have were, were we were still pissed right from the lack of cooperation from the, what i'm gonna call the fake preacher and, and we had yes we're relieved it's not a homicide but guess what? Now you're on a radar asshole and you could have made this a lot easier for us. I mean, technically we, if we would talk to everybody in there they probably, that's what the preacher was afraid of. He was afraid we're going to start talking to his people or running warrants, checks on them, which we would have done. And he just didn't want us there. I mean, um, he's afraid somebody's going to say about dope and what have you, but you pissed us off. And, and we were going to intend it upon coming back with a search warrant based off of what we found out of the autopsy it had it been a homicide determined ruled as a homicide we had have got a search warrant for the place because we knew that's where he was domiciled and you know gone in and look for anything or talk to people or what have you but now you got us pissed off so jim what do we do
1: yeah so you know with that we had a uh you know, went ahead and got narcotics involved, uniform patrol involved. I mean, we spent some time. We even had some other detective teams finding out some information because before we knew that this wasn't a homicide. You know, we needed to gather as much information as we could because that was a part of our investigation. So we've invested some time now into finding some things out, and we've actually found out a lot of um a lot of issues that raise a lot of red flags, especially in the community. I mean, we were already aware that there were places that accept insurance and house those rehab and some are legitimate, but there are some that are not. It's just more of a, of a, of a scam to collect as much money as possible. And you're not, they're not really there to treat the patient. They're just giving them a way to be able to continue what they're doing while they're making money off of it. So some of that information started coming to light. Some of the people that were, um, caught by Uniform Patrol, so to speak, with some drugs and what information they've been able to to give out. So we've gathered this collection of of information from Uniform Patrol and the detectives, and we got our narcotics unit involved um, with this. And they had a little bit of information, so they were able to um, use some CI, some some informants, confidential informants, uh, you know, to start working that. Uh, you know, to, to go in there and, and whether they're purchasing drugs or whatever the or case selling. might be, they're yeah. they an investigation.
0: Yeah. And the. That's correct. So we pulled out the uniform guy that we had there and let let him think that we were letting them be um, the confidential mm-hmm. informants we mentioned earlier. They were reached out to and these the, the CIs y'all, are they get paid and they have to sign paperwork, et cetera. If they're, you know, certified CI and we, they were used to go back in, find out who was, who was doing the selling, et cetera. And so they would set up on the place at nighttime and know who it was. It was good. You say something,
1: Jim. I'm almost touched on one thing for those that understand about a, a confidential informant and some of the requirements that go into that, you know, it, there's a misconception out there that if you have a confidential informant and you get them to sign the form, they go in to make the buy, and that's it. They're good. Um, you know, you have to actually certify this informant, so they actually have to do this and build that rapport and build that trust where their information has actually been very accurate. Um, so usually it usually takes a couple of times where they'll go and they'll, you know, provide the information or make the buy, and come back with that, and all the information was true and factual. And you have to keep a record, right? For that confidential informant, you have to actually log that, and that's how they become a certified informant because you know the information given you is accurate.
0: And before you send them in, the like let's, let's say the first time, and and somebody you catch them with some dope, and then they you know, say you want to help yourself out, give us somebody else, give us a bigger fish, et cetera, and they do that. And before you send them in, they have to sign all this paperwork that says they won't um, commit any illegal acts uh, and they won't act, act, out, act outside of the scope of what the, whatever the investigation is, is currently going on. I mean, it's, it's a bunch of strict rules. That they
1: are not a law enforcement officer. That's
0: right. You're not a law enforcement officer. Then we search them, strip search them, make sure they don't have anything on them and like if they're going in to make a buy, we, we, uh, take pictures of all the bills that they have, make sure they don't have any more money on them. And if they go in, they complete the transaction to come out. We immediately search them because and and we've had it happen in the past where they'll go in and buy X amount, uh, more than what they're saying. And they'll break a piece off and try to hide it on them. And we've, we've actually arrested people for that before the, um, uh, back from working narcotics. So when they come back out, you search them again and, uh, then it, especially if they're certified, you search them again and then you can, you're able to take that to a judge and say, Hey, they just went in this residence and you have to describe the residence and who was inside, et cetera. And you make a sworn affidavit for the judge and they'll give you, um, so hopefully they'll give you a search warrant to go do what we call a no knock. Search warrant so you can hit the residence or the establishment in force and put everybody down, take them by surprise, and do your search.
1: And and a lot of times, too, when you use a confidential informant, they get a number assigned to them. Right, right,
0: right. That's right. So so they're not known by
1: name. Confidential informant number 28, and they've made eight buys. And you have all eight of it. When you apply for that search warrant, you can put on there CI number 28. Right. And behind closed doors with the judge, you can provide the documentation to show that this is what this confidential informant has done previously. Um, and that way, you, you're showing that this is a, a certified confidential informant, that we're not just pulling this name out of a hat and making up a number. There truly is a log of what this person has done right. previously to show the truthfulness to the court when you're asking for the warrant.
0: And look, they have some CIs out there that are making more money than we make now. I mean, they're pros at it. Once they work off their original charge and, you know, it's no longer reasonable to say, okay, yeah, well, we caught you with an eight ball of cocaine and you made five buys for us. You're certified now, et cetera. There's no incentive for them, right? And I mean, but so they start getting paid and there's money. Through the system, uh, through the sheriff's office and the DA's office that's all allocated from that, from other people's fines and stuff that they pay in court. And so they, I mean, some of them that I use over the years were making really good money and they love to work. But, so, but so back to this one, they sent in a, uh, a couple of the top CIs, the undercovers to do what they do to make the transactions. On, on the church.
1: And, they and that's was, exactly right. And that's exactly what happened.
0: And they were successful. And they went to the judge and presented the evidence. And we were got permission to do a no-knock, if you will. And Jim and I uh, were both on the SRT team. I, I, I think I was off of it by this time. and uh, Jim was still on it and I was still on it. um what would happen is the SRT team would ga- gather a secret location to do uh, a briefing and this it's, you just don't run out and hit a house right unless there's an active shooter situation or something like that you get gather all the intel that you can such as how many doors um how many suspected people inside um <clears throat>
1: the it's a lot It's a lot like a military mission. You know, you, you don't just run out into the mission and just run with it. You rehearse it. So you try to stage what we refer to as like a glass room where you're you're kind of mocking up what that house might look like or the buildings you're going into off of whatever information you have, um, who could be there. You know, you have to be able to communicate what size or what. away uh, way, if, you know, somebody needs help on a particular side of that house, you know where to go based on whatever code word they have. So you rehearse it, you go over it multiple times and and, um, just so everybody's on the same page.
0: And if time isn't of the essence and sometimes on the search warrants, you want on a narcotic search warrant, you do want to get them done pretty quick because drugs can leave the the, the scene and not be there anymore. But if you know that you have a house full of shit bags and, and um, they're constantly going to be in possession of narcotics, it just there's a lot of preparation that goes into it before the SWAT team goes out and does a no-knock. And a no-knock is when basically it's sheriff's office, search warrant, boom, right? So, Jim, tell them what happened. Uh, describe it for them, if you will.
1: Yeah, so, you know, we rolled down the, the street there. We get to the location, and boom, right away, um, I was part of the entry team. So we had, you know, a breacher and and so on, and we get up to the door there. Sheriff's off search warrant, wham, hit it. Um, you know, we we made entry. We did use a flashbang.
0: Let, um, let, let me.
1: So we do that. Let me let
0: as me. A let so yeah. me let me throw in a couple of details. When he says they're rolling down, then they had the let me compare sheriff's office. Um, Willie Graves and now Jason Ards the same way the sheriff's they gave us the best equipment and like other departments much larger departments in major cities were jealous of the shit that we had and one of the things we had was the SWAT truck and it was just badass right so when he says we're going down there the the SRT the guys are all lined up in a truck and then there's you know usually some undercover vehicles ahead and behind but they're stacked up They're ready to go. They know what order, who's who's going behind whom, but when they bail out of the trucks, it's I mean it's it's fast and from the time go ahead, Joe.
1: It's a big up armored vehicle and then on the sides of it is actually this ledge that you can stand on. That's right. So as we're rolling down our way there, we can actually maneuver to stand outside. So when we get to that location, we can immediately just go as a team. Just boom jump right off of that and, and get in your formation, so to speak, and, and you're, you're tactically going right up to the house. Um, so it, it moves like clockwork. And what I, what I love so much about the team that we had, um, and I'll they don't give names, but our, our commander of that, our team leaders, we really spent a lot of time training. Yeah. Um, and the group of guys that were on this team, we all knew each other. Strengths, weaknesses, we trained together. All the time. Uh, I mean, it was, I remember just so many hours that we would do it because we, we were active. We, we did a lot of search warrants. We did a lot of, um, you know, on the spot type of call out where an active scene. Um, so we we really were in sync. And so it was just amazing to be able to do this type of stuff with those group of guys. But this one, you know, we went up to the door, sheriff's off search warrant. Boom, door gets hit open. We throw in the flashbang. And a lot of people think, as a flashbang serve a purpose, oh, serve a purpose. Yeah. because if you look at it or if you're close enough to it it's going to stun you for a few seconds yeah. and that's all we want is to be able to to be able to stun it just enough to where we can make entry and the goal of that is is so we can have the upper hand no shots are fired nobody gets in a confrontation we're able to you know just go on in do
0: what we need
1: to do yes and we we went in and secured those that were you know that were in there everybody ended up you know a procedure that we'll take to make sure um everyone is checked names so on and so forth so we did that
0: yes and so they hit both doors y'all i mean you have to remember this is not a residence it's a actually like a a large metal building and they bang the front door and the back door uh, two separate entry teams, and you would be amazed at, uh, you know, you, you play the way you practice. I firmly believe that. But, but so we would practice over and over and over again on doing building entries, et cetera, and with, without giving away the tactics, whatever. But you can clear a huge building like that in, in under, under two minutes. I mean, like you go if, through. If, you,
1: it, if it's done right, that's if right. it's done right, and you train a lot as a team, which we did, You can continuously flow as you're moving through. Right. And, you know, everybody kind of knows what their position is. If you're towards the back end of that team, you might be more on people watching, so to speak, to keep that under control while the other ones that are doing their continuous movement throughout the building can keep going. Um, And as they need assistance, they can call out for it, and it just keeps flowing all the way through. (laughs) Um, I I, I can't get into the tactics on that because I don't think it would be safe for those that still do it. Right. But it's a... It's a great tool and a great process that is used, and it's highly effective.
0: And it it also saves lives by being uh, that efficient and that quick and having that shock and awe. Bad guys don't even really have, 90% of the time, they don't even have a chance to think about reaching for a gun. It's that fast. So, But anyway, they'll go through. Uh, secure everyone on the initial sweep, and then, then double back and, and do a secondary sweep to make sure that there's nothing missed, uh, nothing that was missed. And then the you know the search begins and the scenes be- it begins yes. to be processed. I mean,
1: we, and we have to check everything on, on while well, we check it all on them. I mean, Woody can test this too. There's times i found people hitting cabinets, Oh, um, yeah. somebody tried to hide in a dryer one time, oh, yeah. I mean,
0: and they, anywhere they, they <laughs> can
1: go that they can fit, they're going to hide, so you have to literally search if a body could fit in there, right. and you have to look at it, and right. so we'll do the initial sweep, but then we do a secondary sweep, because you don't know if you're going to miss it, and so it's critical, because my gosh, if you miss somebody hiding in a cabin and they sneak up behind you, yep. you're in trouble,
0: well, so, you
1: it, know, we're very meticulous.
0: And you're doing it not only for your own safety, you do as much of your own safety as you do your brother police officer. Right. And so it's, it's a very serious deal, but you know, it's a necessary process and it was done on this scene. And, and, you know, I think we hit it like at four o'clock in the morning, right. While they are, you, you, you don't want to hit it at prime time. If you don't have to, so most people would be asleep, but it, it was shit. It was a bunch of people. And I mean, it was 30 the plus, was Right. 30 something people, they go in, they secure everybody, and we found numerous, uh, uh, pills and some crack and drug paraphernalia and different things. Meth, Meth that's right. And shit, it was a plethora. It was a drugstore of illegal narcotics, right? In this church, that's in right. the rehab center, in the a gym went and snatched up the preacher after they did the initial sweep and the secondary sweep, he snatches up the preacher and brings him outside. And then we got to advise him on his rights and we placed him under arrest and basically said, Hey motherfucker told you we'd be back, you know? So anyway, the long or the short of it is the, we, we shut that fucker down and you shouldn't piss off the police. So if, Cops ever come to your door and I know the culture is hate in general is lack of trust for the police and everything now, but if they come to your door and asking about a dead guy that's next to you, you should probably be nice to him.
1: I would agree that would have changed the whole outcome of that, but at the same time, I kind of feel with this type of place. The information that came out afterwards, it was only a matter of time before enough information was gathered on them anyway because uniform patrol was already being made aware of it you know they got some information and it didn't take long for detectives or narcotics to get in on it and have the information needed so i think it was only a matter of time for the way that they were operating um that they would have the the outcome would have been the same right and you just can't have that in, in the communities you know where i mean you yeah. know a legitimate rehab place we we support when you're going to operate as an insurance scam, you're not doing the favors to the people that need the treatment whatsoever. You're you're just supplying a way to use drugs while you're just taking advantage of the system, yeah, uh, and scamming it for as much insurance money as possible. And that's just something you just can't have. That right, and, and that they got investigated for all that too. There was a bunch of uh, insurance related. Oh yeah, a
0: bunch of federal stuff
1: uh, that, that investigated the insurance side of it and and. There were a bunch that came back with that with the insurance fraud
0: yeah it was it ended way. up being nope. it ended up being a good case but here's the deal if they hadn't been dirty there would been there would have been no slumber in the lumber yard right the guy wouldn't have died That's right a um smoking crack with a bottle in his rectum I mean that the word was anyway that the preacher was hooking them up because these people weren't local. He was hooking them up with the, the local connections to get them whatever kind of dope they wanted. And and so that guy technically died as, as a result of the insurance fraud scam and the, the fake rehab. But it was a good case. It was an interesting case. I mean, never I'm, I never saw anybody else uh, die like that. And, the lanyard or bonus for free or extra was shutting down that asshole preacher that was, you know, basically just ripping everybody off and supplying these people who are already addicted with narcotics and, and he was making an ass load of money. I think it was $30,000 a person. You, you figure he that was a, a
1: preacher by title. He wasn't. A yeah, preacher I'm sorry.
0: By yeah, you're right. He gets, real sense of the word. Right. That's for sure yeah so there was no preaching going on yeah the the, the fake preacher um and he, he went to prison and I don't know how long it was because they did a, a bunch of federal charges on him and insurance fraud and wire fraud and all kinds of stuff But and I didn't keep up with it because it drug out for a couple years because he had a, he had a shit pile of money for good defense attorneys because he was got it from the insurance uh stuff but he's in prison uh um yeah feel quite certain still to this day that he's in prison. So it was a good case and feel bad for the guy, the dog, you know, the, that the slumber in the lumber yard guy uh, for the victim, if you will. But it is what it is. It is what it is. But Jim, I appreciate you, man. And, and um, we'll see how this audio turns out for our listeners on this new system. Hopefully it does well. and But, you know, I love you and I appreciate you. We got some great responses um, from our first two episodes on, on State Ground, part one and two. Uh, people are loving it, evidently. Uh, you and I doing it together, again, is a, is a real treat for me. And the fans are loving it and I really do appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. It's a real treat for me as well. and uh Thank you guys for the support on this and we'll keep We'll
0: keep sharing these stories. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And the and so, y'all, if if the audio doesn't come out right today, then we'll, we'll continue to try to improve upon it. But we'll do the best that we can. Hey, Jim, let's, let's talk about real quick the um, podcast awards. The, the the voting for the podcast awards shuts down at the end of July, which is like next Tuesday, next I think. Week. So it's awards. .com and we're up for three different categories. The first one is podcasts, the People's Choice Award, Podcast of the Year Award, right? But there's like a, you know, this is worldwide over 700,000 podcasts. There's not 700,000 that are nominated, but there's a whole bunch that are nominated. But if you would, if you feel so inclined, give us your vote in that category. Now, the second one is society and culture. And the third one is drama and storytelling. So if y'all go to www.podcastawards.com, you put in your name, you make a password, and it directs you to the sites. And, you know, if you like real life, real crime, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, we're in the other the society and culture, we're up against shows that, like, have millions of listeners. So I'm so curious to see how little real life, real crime can do that as only five months old. Um, But we appreciate being nominated and we'd appreciate your vote. So
1: you like what we've been able to do and you like what Woody's put together over the last five months, please uh, go on to that site, vote for us and share it with your friends and your family. And I know that LSU Tiger Nation, We'll go ahead and go. share this information amongst all those Tiger fans out there. I've got to give love to my LSU Tigers. That's right.
0: That's right. It's almost football season, babies. Did you see the, the um, rehab they did to the locker room that came out, Jim? It wasn't
1: yeah. like that when I was there. But you know what? Those athletes, uh, regardless of what everybody's opinion is, they do an awful lot for those schools.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Especially big, at
1: a big like money. Like LSU, and, uh, you know, they, they bring in a lot of, Revenue for the school each and every year, so I think we're all very well deserving of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a lot of it is geared towards the football team, but I do believe that student athletic center that they have there is for all the student athletes. Right. So they all benefited from all the programs, whether you're, you know, on the golf team to baseball, softball, right. gymnastics, soccer. It's all a part of that student athlete, which is a wonderful uh, community and environment to be involved with. I- i love lsu through and through so me too
0: hey did you see this they're going to start selling beer in tiger stadium this season
1: don't
0: be crazy and they said they wouldn't sell it in the booth next to the student section i'm like hell they don't need theirs anyway they snuck it in but anyway the yeah go tigers and then um y'all if you haven't in uh, if you will take the time, also go to iTunes and leave us a review. I don't care if it's positive or negative or whatever, but we have like, we have over 1700 members on our private crew page. That's real life, real crime, friends, fans, and crew on Facebook, which you have to ask to be, uh, to join the group. And if you do that, you send a request and our, our moderators, or dream team, who we love so much, will get you approved. And Um, that's a number that people look at, right? Those private group pages, but the other ones they look at are how many reviews you have on iTunes. And it doesn't mean you have to listen through iTunes. It could be on whatever platform you're listening on, uh, but you can go to iTunes and, and search for real life, real crime. and It'll come up and leave us a review. And I I have never really pushed that or asked for, but I didn't understand the importance in the past. Of course, I'm not from the podcast world, right? I didn't know what a podcast was five months ago. But it's a big deal. And we have uh, over 300-something reviews now. But we, I mean, our listener numbers, and we're in 121 countries now across the world. So if y'all would, if even a percentage of you go and leave us a review, we would appreciate it. It helps us out.
1: So Definitely leave us some reviews and some you know, your, your thoughts and your feedback. I mean, listen, you, we're here to provide all this for, for you fans out there that, that like to listen, and, you know, we like your feedback. Yep. So if you something we've done really well or something you'd like to see us do a little bit better, look, we grow and make this into the best that we can. Um, and nobody better to guide us than
0: you guys. Right, absolutely, and and we do, and we love each and every one of you. And we've made a lot of a lot of changes in five months that y'all have recommended. Some of them we haven't, but ninety percent of them we have. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. We um, didn't know anything about a podcast yet. So y'all guided us, and you know we we know that you like it because our numbers don't lie. And but we appreciate each and every one of you and just continue to to like and share. And if you can leave us a review and if you want to vote for us in on the podcast awards, that'd be cool. Um, patron members, we love you. Uh, uh, we love all our fans equally, but patron members help support what we do and creating the show. There's a lot of costs to go with it and, and they help defray the cost of it. So patron members, um, we'll get more shout outs next week. But we appreciate and love each and every one of you. Everybody else, if you can't be a patron member, we don't care. We love you just as much. And but um if you if you could like and share and tell somebody about real life, real crime and throw us a review and that's just as good. It's all love. Um Jim. Well
1: again, thank you guys very much and I look forward to you any more stories here coming up next week
0: too all right so y'all that's jim raffman jim the hitman rap actually we're, we're going this week we're going to put up a full-length episode on jim the hitman rap for patron right so um that's coming before the end of july the full bonus episode but that's jim the hitman raffman and I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time, or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Thanks, Jim. Love you, bro. Thank you man. Thank you. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights?